everybody. Welcome into the Cubs Weekly Podcast presented by Wintrust, proud legacy partner of the Chicago Cubs and exclusive home of Cubs Check. Open online today at Wintrust.com slash Cubs Weekly. As a reminder, we're available on all podcast platforms, so be sure to rate and subscribe. Tony Andraki here, joined by Andy Martinez. And Andy, we're a couple days removed from your first Cubs convention that you've ever been to, that you've ever covered. What were your initial thoughts? What did you kind of take away from the event? I think it was everything I expected tenfold. Um, I, I went in with certain expectations and it was kind of everything was blown away. I, I, the commitment and the dedication of Cubs fans was on full display. It was, it was really cool to see that because, again, I'd gotten glimpses of it, whether it's at Wrigley Field or on the road where we travel to go see the Cubs play at different cities. But to see them at CubsCon where they're, I mean, they're decked out in gear, they're hunting autographs, they're interacting with their players, some of their some of their heroes that they grew up watching, whether it's someone like Mark Grace or or Kerry Wood, things like that. That was really, really special to see, really, really cool to see. And then just the the buzz and aura of baseball's right around the corner. I mean, it kind of felt like New Year's Day in a lot of way, right? There's like a big party, a big festival, and you know, this season's kicking off. You know. In a couple of weeks, we'll be in Arizona. Cubs will be in Arizona. Baseball will be starting. There'll be spring training. You'll hear the pop of the mitt. All the good stuff that you associate with baseball is just right around the corner. That's kind of how it felt for me. Yeah, and you know, everybody there was there for the first time in three years because we haven't yeah. had a convention since uh, January of 2020. You know, pre-pandemic, and really for Mark Key, like this was our first convention being on the air. So we uh, aired every aspect of the convention it was live all weekend which is pretty an a pretty incredible feat that uh we were able to pull off so just very cool um in india i know we had some great chats with former cubs which we'll get to later in the podcast as well uh guys like miguel montero darwin Barty in there so uh definitely very very cool and we'll roll those out over the next few weeks here and, and maybe even months uh on this cubs weekly podcast but i think one of the, the my takeaways from the convention was listening to guys, especially like Ian Happ and Kyle Hendricks, but listening to the guys talk about this season is quite a bit different than how they've been, they talked about last year or certainly towards the end of 2021 after the trade deadline sell-off. This team is confident. They believe that they can contend. And it's kind of funny to hear Happ and Kyle Hendricks who have been around winning. I mean, Happ came up in 2017. So just after the World Series, but obviously that year the Cubs made it to the NLCS again. So they know the culture that was here. And so the last year and a half has been somewhat tough for them, but now they've loved the signings. I mean, Hendricks actually uh, said that he, he was pumped up. His wife was always telling him whenever there'd be a new signing throughout the winter, cause she would find out first and he was pumped up. And it's like, Hendricks is always like very complimentary, but you could see that there was definitely a level of energy and confidence to him. And he's just happy to be back at it because he is, he's a guy that's talked about, pitching when the team doesn't necessarily have something to play for has been difficult for him. It's been an adjustment. August of 21, that was not something that he had ever gone through at any aspect of his career. So I think the Cubs just feel very, very confident about all of this moving forward. And that was one of my takeaways was like, they're talking, you know, they're not necessarily talking about championship and I don't think they're a world series favorite in this roster, but they know that they're going to be competitive and, potentially in contention for a playoff spot or the division as well. So uh, I thought that was a major takeaway for me too. And then, you know, I think just seeing guys like Mark Grayson and Sean Dunson get inducted into the hall of fame, Ryan Sandberg's getting a statue, like, and getting a chance to talk to all those guys after is pretty cool. 
Yeah, I mean, I thought the, the one of the cooler moments was Mark Grace and Sean Dunstan after they they were announced as as Cubs Hall of Famers. They met with the media and they talked about how they they were friends on and off the field. They're still friends to this day. And in true spirit, they they did their media availability, the two of them together, and the, tearing the, up together. Mark, tearing up together. Mark Grace had I thought was one of the funnier stories where he mentions. They were playing a spring training game against the Mariners when the Mariners had Edgar Martinez and Ken Griffey Jr., Jay Buhner, all guy, big, big, big name players. And they're the Mariners are beating the Cubs in spring training, seven nothing, something like that. And Ken Griffey and Edgar Martinez are just getting hits and hits and hits. And Mark Grace looks over at Sean Dunstan and he yells out, Hey, Sean, they got any guys like us? Mm-hmm. And that there was just a funny moment that, hey, like they're they were good players, but they weren't that level. And now they're getting that recognition. And and Mark Ray said, look at us, you know, players like us finally got our recognition, got the got the Hall of Fame. I thought that was very special to see that. And, and it was just a special moment to, to see the two of them hugging and embracing and and reminiscing on those old times. I thought that was that was such so much fun. And as you mentioned, Ryan Sandberg, I mean, this is a Cubs legend. You kind of figured that there there would be a, a statue on Statue Row in Gallagher Way coming at some point. He was still surprised. He mentioned that his family was told the night before, and he didn't know until Tom Ricketts announced it on the on the panel the that that happened on Saturday morning. He was totally blown away by it, totally shocked and and in disbelief. He knew it could be a possibility, but it was still very much to hear it happen was very, very shocking to him for sure. Yeah, and it's cool to do these type of things at Cubs Convention where these are all three of them players that we're talking about were Cubs for more than a decade for him. This fan base fell in love with these guys as players and as athletes. And they're, you know, huge parts of this franchise history. So to be able to do some of these things, induct Grayson Dunson into the Cubs Hall of Fame, erect, you know, talk about erecting a statue for Sandberg to join Ernie Banks, Fergie Jenkins, Billy Williams, and Ron Sainer outside Wrigley Field in Gallagher Way. Like, this is all very cool, and, and it's cool to celebrate with the five, 6,000 people that were in, a, in attendance at Cubs convention as well. So, uh, yeah, it was just, again, a very cool event. Um, but, Andy, I'm curious, you know, again, this being your first event that you've ever covered or been to, what was your favorite part of Cubs convention this weekend? That's a good question. It, it, it was it was so tough, but I, I think for me, it was somewhere between the 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 – kids only press conference and the prospect press conference. I think it was really cool for Cubs. I mean, you hear about from the prospect perspective, you hear about Pete Crow Armstrong, you hear about Matt mm-hmm. Mervis, you hear about Ben Brown, you hear about all these prospects, but if you're a fan, I mean, unless you're watching it on marquee or, or, or subscribe to MI, uh, MILB.TV, you're not really seeing these guys a whole lot or you're not interacting with them because they're all the way in Myrtle beach or they're all the way in South bend or they're all the way in Tennessee. They're not in Wrigley field participating so you don't really get to see them so for fans to interact with them get to know them get to see what they're like in terms of picking their brain and and spending time with them I thought that was really really special for fans to to just interact with these guys that for the most part are are, may seem very very far away but you look at them and you look at the way they talk you look at the way the roster is constructed and you kind of realize these guys might be here before before you know it they're they're not as far away as sometimes they may seem and in case like a guy like maybe Matt Mervis or, or Brendan Davis, you might be seeing them at Wrigley Field w- within the span of here a few months. Yeah, and we had a, a couple of our colleagues and friends of the podcast, Elise Menneker and uh, Lance Brzezdowski, were actually hosted that panel with the prospects. So you're right, it was cool. I mean, there was, what, 12, 13 of them just all spread across the stage. And you, like you said, you get a chance to learn about these players and, and hear what makes them tick, hear about their personality a bit. I mean, I... 
Ryan Jensen, I feel like, because he's apparently a guy who talks a lot and loves yeah. golfing, but not a very good golfer uh, by his own admission. So I thought that was very cool too. But like you said, initially, the kids only press conference is always my favorite part of the convention every year. Uh, this is like the seventh convention, I think that I've covered. And it's something I look forward to every single year. And I kind of drop whatever I'm doing and work and, and try to just be there or at least bring my laptop and work in the auditorium for it just because it's so fun. It's awesome to just hear about the fact that, you know, it's, it's only kids asking questions. So they have all these innocent questions, like what's your favorite color and what animal would you be? And all of these different things. So um, I think it's, it's adorable and it's awesome to see, the players then are so much more relaxed and this year was hosted by Patrick wisdom. So it's kind of cool to see that whole setup. So for me, every year it's the kids only press conference and it, it did not disappoint here in 2023. India, as we were talking a little bit earlier, just about the team priming to compete and contend this year, we were talking about this roster at Cubs convention. We were talking to have Hendricks, Dansby, whoever else. Well, now even since Cubs convention or, or in the, the afternoon and evening after Saturday stuff, it was reported that they're signing Trey Mancini as well to a two-year deal. So you got another veteran first base DH type option figuring into the mix, assuming everything goes fine with the physicals, which is not a guarantee this off season, yep. as we have seen several times, uh, assuming that all goes through and the deal becomes official. Where do you see Trey Mancini fitting into this lineup both in 2023 and then possibly in 2020? It's the perfect signing in terms of a platoon option at first base and a DH option. There was, we were talking about it when the Eric Hosmer deal got done. Well, what does this mean for first base? It means Eric Hosmer probably plays first base, excuse me, and he platoons a little bit with, at the time, we thought Patrick Wisdom, right? It made a lot of sense. Patrick Wisdom played a lot of first base in the second half, right-handed option that would platoon well. And, and But then that kind of left a hole at third base. And we, we heard a little bit, and we'll get to it in a, in a little bit, maybe Nick Madrigal playing third base. There's also Christopher Morell, Zach McKintry play at third base. Created another hole if you moved Patrick Wisdom over. Trey Mancini, I think, is the perfect platoon option for Eric Hosmer. And realistically, it creates the perfect platoon option for Matt Mervis, a guy we were talking about just not too long ago. I thought it was a, a great addition to be able to compliment Eric, both Eric Hosmer and Matt Mervis when he comes up. He's a great right-handed hitter that I think believe it was OPS plus last year. It was a 101 weighted runs created plus 104, so above league average, right around league average creates a perfect opportunity from first from first base position that last year if you remember weighted runs created plus ops plus were in the 80s 20 points below league average first base is very much an offensive first position a lot of times and the cubs were frankly just not getting it from from the from that position to be able to add eric Hosmer, who was a league average bat from the left-handed side and maybe exploit him a little bit to where maybe those numbers go up a little bit because maybe you you shield them and you only face him against righties or you only play him against matchups that suit him well and then and to be no, able to put and Trey, no shift too. And no shift, correct. And you put Trey Mancini to compliment him against a lefty works well for him. I think it maximizes the first base position. And I think it creates a softer landing for Matt Mervis. If we, we thought about it at the at the end of the 2022 season, it was like, all right, if they don't sign a first baseman, and they were really high on, on Jose Abreu reportedly early on in the offseason, that obviously did not come to fruition. They didn't got to get get a first baseman. You were kind of thinking, well, then it's Matt Mervis's job to win or to lose, excuse me, at spring training, which is fine. Except he's a rookie who played who last year was his first full year minor league baseball with some success. You figure if he gets to the major leagues, there's going to be a learning curve of some sort. You didn't want to do that when you're 
23. You didn't want to have a first base position that you might be having a learning curve. And frankly, it could cause some long-term concerns with Matt Mervis if he's struggling and they have to play through him. So now this creates a softer landing where he can just rack up some more ABs at AAA, continue to have success. And if he pushes the envelope, then as Jed Hoyer mentioned, that's a good problem to have. There's the DH, there's off days. To have that that flexibility or to have that problem is not a bad thing for David Ross and, and the Chicago Cubs. Yeah, and really to your point, now Matt Mervis, if he comes up to the big leagues, it's because he truly earned it and he's yeah. showing what he can do. And it's not, like you said, where they have to force him in to play because they don't have another option or their other option is somebody like Alfonso Rivas or PJ Higgins or whatever. Mm -hmm. Two guys, by the way, who are, are no longer with the organization. Um, but yeah, I think it's it's definitely um, going to be interesting to see how Mervis develops. I mean, I, I don't know especially with Mancini now, unless there's a major injury, I don't really see Eric Cosmer and Matt Mervis on the roster at the same time. Yeah. So it might be a man tearing it up. Maybe the Cubs, you know, part ways with, with Hosmer, who's making essentially the league minimum and bring up Mervis. Um, you know, maybe they trade Hosmer if he is doing well. I, I don't know. There's a lot of different options that are there. I think Mancini is just an, another addition to this team that is, is much needed. I mean, he, He's hit at least 21 homers in every year of his career, except for last season, where he only hit 18. But baseball savant actually had him hit if he played every game in Wrigley Field. Now, even all the Cubs don't play every game in Wrigley Field, obviously. They go on the road, too. But the point is, like, that illustrates that he almost would have had double the homers if he were playing more games at Wrigley Field. He got a little bit unlucky last year. So either way, you're talking about adding a 20-homer type of guy into the middle of the order a guy who every year of his career has been uh, except for one I think as a hitter uh and you know very very good in some of the years so he's only 30 doesn't strike out a ton he walks a decent amount he has power he's another right-handed bat he can play first base in DH I just think it gives them a ton of options and also it, it just you look at this roster and this lineup up and down it gives them more depth overall and Jed Hoyer talked about it during the convention is this team, the where it was, even at the end of last season, but certainly throughout all of last year and after the trade deadline in 2021, they had this 40-man roster crunch, but the guys at the bottom of the 40-man roster weren't anywhere near as talented as they are now. So there's a lot more depth. There's a lot more quality depth, and it's forced the team to have to get rid of guys like Mark Leiter Jr., who you know, where the, which they had to do for Eric Hosmer. I don't know what the move is for Trey Mancini, but like the bullpen – be able to like cut ties with him because you feel so confident about your pitching infrastructure, the young guys coming up and then to make room for guys like Eric Hosmer and Trey Mancini who have had pretty decorated careers. I think it just makes this team overall better. Yeah. I think that's the the important thing, right? I, when Mark Leiter was DFA, there was a lot of, a lot of comments on, on Twitter, especially when, when the news was announced about like, how could they let go of Mark Leiter Jr. Which I don't think Mark Leiter Jr. is the the be all end all in the Cubs would have been the be all end all in the Cubs bullpen, but I think that just like to your point screams to just how deep the the, the Cubs pitching infrastructure really is. There's Mark Leiter's success was with his splitter, he but with the ability to be able to go three outs or more, they have plenty of those options, right? You can go with Advert Alzai, you can go with Keegan Thompson, Hayden Wesneski will likely start the year in AAA, but if if he works well, you can use him. Ben Brown is in the same boat. Ryan Jensen could be in the same boat. I mean, there's plenty of guys that can fill that role that it became surplus. And to your point, 
that really elevates the the floor of the bottom of the 40 man roster. If that's where you're at, that's a pretty good sign of a, of a healthy organization that's on the rise. That's what you want. Those are the kind of problems that you have to have where, Oh man, this guy that could be something that we could, that could have been this has to go. I think that's the most important. That's the most important sign. And the, the, the most telling sign of a, of a healthy organization. And, and, uh, it's, again, to Jed Hoyer's point, those are good problems to have. Those are good situations you want to be in if you're if you're the Cubs. You want to be able to have to decide: Do we want this younger pitcher? Do we want to move on from this younger pitcher who could continue to develop, or do we want to go with this this guy who that could be successful this season? There's, there's, those are the kind of questions you want to ask yourself to continue to to improve your roster overall, especially on the forty man. Yeah, and speaking of potentially good problems, uh, Nick Madrigal. Right now, there's a pretty big question about where he fits. Yep. Honestly, the addition of Trey Mancini probably makes that question, it underlines that question a bit in yep. on this roster. Dansby Swanson is playing shortstop. He's missed two games the last three seasons. Nico Horner is playing second base. You know, we've talked a little bit before about where Madrigal fits, and we actually asked Jed a little bit about it. And he said, you know, he's going to Madrigal is going to take some reps at third base. Andy, you wrote a great story for MarqueeSportsNetwork.com that's up now, just about where Madrigal. And yeah, I mean, you know, he could he could play, factor into third base. Maybe he plays second, uh, and Nico DHs or Dansby DHs or something like that to give these guys rest. Obviously, there is the potential for injury. But with the addition of Mancini, I mean, Wisdom may not be playing a ton of first base now or maybe isn't DHing as much. So Patrick Wisdom's there. Christopher Morell as well. Zach McKinstry, Miles Mestroboni in the minor leagues. I think there's a lot of guys and options that are available that can play third base and also second base, you know. But, like, if Madrigal hits the way he's capable of, it's a good problem to have for the Cubs. And that's what they're looking for. They're looking for health from him and they're looking to see if he can force his way in the lineup in some way. And it might not be a perfect fit, but just figure out to get that super high contact bat that made him the fourth overall pick, get that in the lineup. Yeah. And, and the other thing too, that, that Jed Hoyer mentioned that I, I always point to too, is you write out what your opening day lineup is at the beginning of the season. You say, this is, these are the nine we're going with. This is who's going to play first, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then there's injuries that happen. There's guys that struggle. There's so many things that happen throughout the course of, of 162 for everyone, not just the Cubs, but for everyone that to realistically say you're going to go with these nine guys for the full course of 162 is, is unrealistic and is not likely. Nick Madrigal, incredible depth. He has options. If you if you really wanted to continue to get him at best, he could theoretically start the year at AAA. The, this is again goes back to the problem of having a lot of options it's a good problem to have you think about the last few years when someone would go down you're kind of wondering all right who's going to fill in that role who's going to backfill that position well maybe if this works out then th this will happen now you have those options right if i mean you don't you know the cubs don't want this to happen but if the injury happens to nico horn or dansby swanson okay there's your natural solution is nick madrigal at second base and the other one at shortstop if Patrick Wisdom struggles at third base or, you know, if someone struggles at first base, you can move things around. I don't think when, when Jed Hoyer said he's taking reps at Nick Madrigal's taking reps at third base, I don't think this, the, to read into it, to say he's going to be the everyday third baseman. I don't, I don't think that was ever the situation. I think the case was he's going to take some reps at third base. If he needs to play third base in a pinch, he can, he'll be able to do that. Now he hasn't played third base really since ever, at least, through college, he's never played third base and he's never played anything other than second base in his professional career outside of one game in the complex league at shortstop for the for the White Sox when he was coming up. 
So it's definitely a new position. It's unrealistic to think that in one offseason, three or four months of work, he's going to become this bona fide third base defensive wizard, right? But if he can play serviceable third base, and, and one thing that I mentioned in the article on marqueesportsnetwork.com is you can get creative with it, right? If you have if you have a right-handed starter and you have a very left-handed pull-heavy lineup, maybe you put Nick Madrigal at third base where he's not going to be seeing a lot, a ton of grounders that way where you can kind of almost, as Jed Hoyer said with the with the shift, you can almost hide him in a certain way, right? Where, where a lot of the balls are going to naturally go to, to second base, maybe shortstop or first base. He won't be seeing as many balls that 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 won't be a, as big of a concern that the defensive acumen, but you still want to keep that bat in the lineup if he has success like he did in the second half. You think about it, he had two two eighty four in the second half of last season when he was healthy. The bat to ball skills are still there. There's still plenty of ability for him there, and if you have that availability off the bench or in the designated hitter role or in on, at second base on days off or at third base in a pinch, I think that 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 lengthens the, the Cubs lineup and it, and it creates a lot of problems. Because some of the the in-house options at third base, I mean, I think Patrick Wisdom is the front runner for for third base. But we think about Christopher Morrell, he struggled a lot in the second half once the league kind of adjusted to him after his after a strong start. He's another guy that I don't think it's a necessarily a guarantee that he's going to be starting the season at, at the major league roster, especially with the moves that the team has made. That it might not be good for Christopher Morrell to just have him on on the bench and not playing every every day. Whereas if you start him the year at AAA where he has options. You can play him every day. He can continue to get at bats and he can continue to work through some of the struggles that he had in the second half. And then you can bring him up and and not have to worry about him struggling like he did in the second half. So I think the success of Nick Madrigal and, and being able to move him around and being able to move around a lot of guys, I think creates a lot of options, a lot of a lot of lineup success for the Chicago Cubs in, in 2023. Yeah, and again, on the topic of options, I mean, the Cubs just have – more options at their disposal than they did really at any point in 2022. Mm-hmm. And that's especially true on the pitching staff. Kyle Hendricks probably won't be ready for the start of the season. That's probably unlikely. He's talking about, you know, late April, maybe early May as when he returns, as he deals with the, you know, capsular tear in his shoulder. So it was the, it was the longest he'd ever gone without throwing. He went four and a half months without throwing longest he'd ever been in his life. He said, without picking up a baseball, he's stretching out. He's back on his throwing program since December 1st. Things are going well there. MRIs are clean, but just the the timing that it takes to get back after that amount of time off and ensure that he's healthy, he's not going to be ready uh, by opening day unless there's some sort of miracle happens. And he's obviously taking the cautious approach as is the Cubs. So I think the the pitching depth in house certainly helps. You you re-sign Drew Smiley, you brought in Jamison Tyone, then you have Marcus Stroman, Justice Steele in rotation. You have Adrian Sampson still around. You have Edward Alzali, Keegan Thompson, Hayden Wisniewski, Javier Assad. I mean, you have a whole other rotation possibly that's either going to be in a bullpen or going to be in AAA. So that allows Hendricks to fully get healthy, to make sure that this shoulder issue is behind him and that he's pitching down the stretch and that he's pitching right. So um, I think it'll be really interesting to see when he does come back. I wouldn't be surprised if it if it does last even a little bit longer than that, depending on on how things go. But whenever he does come back, he wants to be 100 percent. It helps him get to that point. Yeah, I mean, that's the that's the big thing, right, is it almost becomes like a early season signing. And in a lot of ways, if he can come back and be be successful, you want you want that option. But like we saw in the second half of last season, if you would have said at at the all star break, hey, Drew Smiley is going to go down. Justin Steele is going to go down. You're you're going to have to rely on guys like Javier Assad and, and Adrian Sampson. You you might have been a little worried that 
that things could have gone really far south and it turned out to be 39 or a 91 pace excuse me in the in the second half because of the starting pitching that had the second best ERA in baseball in the second half the in-house development of pitching has, has been real and the Cubs are banking on that believe that that can be another another successful point here in 2023 yes Kyle Hendricks you would love to have him opening day and, and starting opening day like he like he has the last few seasons but realistically that's probably not going to happen like you said barring some miracle but having him come in and kind of get healthy he mentioned you'd rather be healthy at the end of it than than rush to get at the start of it and not know what kind of, what, what can kind of happen that's what he's working to and that's what the cubs are working towards being healthy at the end of the season that they're playing in meaningful games and they have all their guys healthy in those meaningful games towards the end of the season all right we're going to take a quick break here on the cubs weekly podcast but when we come back we'll actually have a special guest jeremiah paparaki the cubs pa announcer at wrigley field and he's going to interview a couple of sneak peeks at the interviews that we mentioned we got at Cubs convention with a bunch of former players on the team. So stay tuned for that. You've got the jersey, the ball cap, the foam finger. Everyone can see you're a Chicago Cubs fan from a mile away. Ready to take your look to the next level? Upgrade your wallet with an exclusive Cubs debit card, which you can get when you open a Wintrust Cubs checking account. With no monthly fees, free ATMs nationwide, and a $300 bonus when you open your account. Start showing your Cubs pride with every purchase. Sign up at Wintrust.com slash Cubs. Only $100 required to open. No monthly minimum balance and no monthly maintenance fees. Member FDIC and equal housing lender. Hey Cubs fans, I'm Jeremiah Paprocki, the voice of Wrigley Field for your Chicago Cubs. Here's a look back with an interview from Mike Fontenot. So in that June of 07, you guys had a pretty epic comeback. Uh, I think you guys were down 5 nothing, and then Aramis Ramirez hit the walk-off homer. You were actually on first base for that homer. I don't know how much of this do you remember. And, and well, it- I remember it very well because you know that picture I told you I have in my office? Okay. It was actually a picture of... Uh, that scenario happening and I remember I came around so I'm in the we're jumping up and down at home plate and the picture is Aramis jumping up to high five Cliff Floyd and uh, I think it was Soriano and they're like all midair doing high five you know and I was just I just scored Um, so that's funny you say that because that's the exact picture that I have in my office. That's pretty incredible like what all right so what was that moment like being on base for that but then also like how how insane was Wrigley Field in that moment? Oh, it was crazy, man. That was, uh, you know, that's why you play the game a lot for moments like that. That just makes it, you know, all worthwhile. I mean, there's a lot of perks, and it's fun either way. But, you know, when you get to go through a moment like that, it, it's awesome. Next up, we have a sneak peek with Carlos Marmol. You were on some successful Cup teams that were trying to, you know, break the curse of the Billy Goat. How much were you aware of the, the curse or the, the drought, and how much did you guys talk about that when you guys were playing? Well, we talk a lot about this, especially when the guys are like, you know, like Soriano, me, Aramis, all those guys. Man, we try, though. We try yeah. hard, especially the last, the last year when we entered the playoff, uh, I think in 2008. Yeah. We tried hard, man. Things not work out. Yeah. Well, so, what was your reaction in 2016 when they when they won? Like, did you watch it? What was that like? Man, that? I watched. I mean, I almost cried. I was like, <laughs> I can't. I said, why is that moment not coming to when I was player there? Man? <laughs> <laughs> I want to see a react to the players. You know? Yeah. I mean, the the, the fans. Yeah. See but, how to how to feel that like being the city. Up next on the Cubs Weekly Podcast, here's a tidbit of a conversation with Ted Lilly. In 2006, the Cubs 
had a 90 loss season. You signed with the team after that. You know, was it what made the Cubs at Chicago somewhere a place you wanted to be? Because you know, at that point in your career, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming a 90 loss team isn't always the the most appealing place to, to go. Yeah. So um, going back to that, you know, obviously the city is incredible. That that the history in terms of just like the, I, I think the fan base first is the attraction. Yeah. Um, and I definitely wanted to go somewhere and win. Yeah. Um, that was a priority, no doubt. And, and, uh, and it was a hesitation like that we were going to be able to build a club good enough to have a chance. Um, my conversations, you know, with Jim along the way were what other pieces, you know, were we going to add on to try and create depth as, as well when we, when we signed Alfonso Soriano, obviously that was a pretty big statement that we were going to be aggressive um, and try and rebuild the club. And then um, we brought in that year, we brought in Mark DeRosa, we brought in Jason Marquis. Um, I'm trying to think of some of the, some of the other pieces that he put together, you know, found a way to, uh, you know, utilize, you know, various resources. I think they had made a trade too. So anyways, um, getting to it. So Jim, um, Jim was very confident that uh, we were, we were going to be in the mix. And I also, I also liked how he, you know, there was no guarantees too. You know, you yeah. just in the game, we, you can put the, you can put the, the best team on the field um, statistically and going forward, you don't know what you're going to, you know, what your club's going to be able to do. Uh, but I, I think, you know, the, the straightforwardness that, that Jim had about him, the way that he communicated, um, I felt uh, I, I felt confident in who who he was um, and what his intentions were. So we um, and I think we had a u unique group of guys that uh, um, of guys that really really wanted to bring this championship, you know, to Chicago. We we weren't able to do it, but I, you know, look looking back, you know, there's there's definitely like um, other than the fact of not being able to win win a championship. There's, uh, I feel pretty, pretty grateful to compete with the group that we had. Up next, we have Miguel Montero. So you didn't think you would be on the playoff roster in the NLCS or the World Series? Yeah. Just good with the two catchers with Ross and Wilson yeah, and stuff so, too. Yeah, and then I didn't have a good year though. So, I mean, for to catching, I didn't have anyone to catch anymore. You know, I was catching Arrieta and Hendrick. So, so what am I going to do in the roster? So. But, you know, yeah, I ended up being in the roster, and uh, good for them, though. And obviously, like you said, you were the catcher for the final few outs there. And on that final out, you know, when KB throws it across to the diamond to Rizzo, did and you see? Lit. Yeah, did you see him slip? Yeah. And like, what? Can you just take us through oh your perspective God, as catcher Lord. for that whole thing? Oh my God! The good thing was like it happened so fast, so it didn't give me time to like get petrified. I was, I was, I mean, like, so it kind of happened fast. But as soon as I saw his lid, I'm like, oh. Oh. Like, okay, now it's done. So it was, but yeah, I mean, we all got. Just had that moment toss. where like your breath catches, yeah. Okay, yeah, Bob. Yeah, man, it's, uh, it was awesome. Here's another sneak peek from Darwin Barney. The gold glove that you won, Brandon Phillips, when after you won it had said he'd won it three of the previous four years and was, wasn't too happy that you had won it. What was your reaction when you heard that? And yeah, I no, mean, obviously I you deserved it. I remember my quote. I think my quote was, 
I'd give up my gold glove for a chance to play in the playoffs. Yeah. Um, and and that, it was fun to have that little banter with him. I mean, it, it's interesting how this game works. You're, you are who you are until you're a threat. Right. And when I was first switching to second base in spring training, Brandon Phillips got out at second. The inning ended, and I was on defense. And I'm like, hey, man, like, I'm having trouble with my turn moving to second as a shortstop. I know you were a shortstop, too. And he stood out there with me, man, for a minute and a half between innings at spring training um, yeah. and just told me about turning double plays with two hands and, mm -hmm. you know, what he does with footwork a little bit. Um, very helpful, very helpful guy. You know, then all of a sudden I become a threat, right? Yeah. <laughs> I become someone who's going to take his hardware from him. And um, and there was, some, there was some banter there. None of it was really to each other. It was yeah. to the media. Obviously, he wanted the gold glove. That's fine. I, I, I had a historic defensive year that year. Yeah. Um, I hit good enough to get it. Um, and the next year, I still should have won it too, you yeah. know? But... You know, I didn't hit well enough. Right. It's the big leagues. I get it. You got to hit to get it. Uh, but that year, I mean, that was one of the best years I think a second baseman has ever had. Yeah. Um, and so it was really easy for yeah. me to kind of just be like, yeah, whatever, man. Say what you want. Right. Um, but it was funny. You see him on the field, and he gets on first, and he looks at me and puts the, this horns up, and he's like, like that. Like, I'm like, coming. Yeah, right, right. And, and it was just kind of, he kind of laughed after. It was yeah. kind of funny, but it was like we both knew, like, all right, dude. Let's go. Right, you know, like, right, right. We're going this year for it. Um, and I had a hell of a year. I just struggled with the bat, so yeah. he won it. But but that was fun. You know, I look back, and I respect the hell out of Brandon Phillips, you yeah. know, for the type of game he plays. You know, he does stuff differently. I yeah. won't throw it behind my back. Right. Um, but, yeah, you know, try to take care of my pitchers a little bit differently. And to wrap it up, here's John Lieber. What do you consider the best game you ever pitched? It doesn't have to be in a Cubs uniform, but I know you had a 78-pitch complete game with the Cubs. Yeah. Was it that one? It was, was that, that one. It yeah. was? It really was. Um, you know, there was a lot of uh, a lot of things that went on in that game. Um, you know, the two rain delays. Uh, I think we had an hour and a half rain delay to start off the start off the game, so we were pushed back. But And then after four innings, I think we had another hour rain delay. And, um, you know, as Glendon rushes, <laughs> uh, you know, we had a, another hour rain delay, and you know, it's and then to be able to come back out and finish the game like that, it was just uh, in under two hours too. It was just, it was unbelievable. So, how'd you stay ready during all those game delays? <laughs> well, delays, you know, it's um, what's funny is you know, you get to the fourth inning, you think normally you'd have 40, 60 pitches or whatever, and I knew I didn't have a lot of pitches up to that. To that to that point, and Oscar came up to me. I was staying warm on the bike, and he said, "How do you feel?" I said, "I feel feel great." And I really did. He goes, "Okay." He goes, "You only got 20 pitches after four innings," and I, I that was just mind-boggling to me. I said, "Yeah, I, I you know feel like I just warmed up basically." So he just wow. said, "Just stay loose. You're going to go back out." And, you know, like I said, my arm wasn't affected by that whatsoever, and was able to just kind of pick up where I left off. All right, so put in perspective, 20 pitches. How many pitches did you usually have to warm up for a start? Like in the 30 <laughs> range, right, maybe? Yeah, I'd say, yeah, I mean, for me, it didn't, you know, I, I didn't warm up for a long period of time. I Yeah, 20 to 30 pitches, maybe. So you were just warming up, essentially, <laughs> by the time the rain yeah. delay happened. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. All right, you just heard a couple quick snippets from all of those guys. It was a ton of fun. We had a lot of fun just talking to these guys. Can't wait for you guys to listen to them. 
catching up with a bunch of former Cubs talking about their careers, what they've been up to now. Uh, guys like Mike Fontenot, you know, is working as a project manager. So it's just a lot of fun to see and hear what some of these guys who played such a huge role in, uh, in a lot of Cubs fans' lives for a number of years, what they're up to, what they, what they think and reflect on their career. But, Andy, I ask you, if we do this, in, you know, in the future with a Cubs convention, we book a bunch of podcast guests and roll them out. Who would you love to get in the future? Who's your dream Cubs convention podcast guest to, to interview during the convention? This was a tough one for me, but I think I had to go with I have to go with Theo Epstein, the the former Cubs baseball president of baseball operations. I think for the simple reason of when I remember there was a moment when I was doing the interview with Darwin Barney and there were fans in line or fans right outside were just outside of where we were conducting the interview, taking pictures and, and snapping pictures of Darwin Barney or uh, snap snapping selfies of Darwin Barney of themselves with Darwin Barney in the background. And it happened with Ted Lilly. It happened with some other guys too. I thought that was really, really cool. And I can only imagine what it would be like for, for Theo Epstein. I saw it a little bit with Miguel Montero. I mean, there were people walking by and they're like, that's Miguel Montero. Oh my gosh, that's Mickey. Hi Montero. And they're screaming and these really cool interactions. The architect of the 2016 World Series team, I think that would be so cool to do to see them, to see the fans, because he, I mean, he is revered around, around Wrigley, around Chicago Cubs fans and rightfully so given what he has done or what he did, excuse me, that I think doing an interview with him in the Cubs convention atmosphere where fans are walking by, where they they're walking by the lobby and they just happen to look and there's Theo Epstein just sitting there talking with, with some schmo or, or <laughs> uh, some, some uh, marquee people. Like the, I think that would be so, so fascinating. So cool to see fans interacting with that because I thought that was the coolest, that, 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 that was what made the interviews so special was seeing the fans just, just seeing these guys sitting there chatting about their, their career. I thought that was, that was what made it special. And I think it would make, the Theo Epstein potential interview is so special. Yeah. I mean, he's a true rock star GM. Like this is a guy yeah. who had to leave Fenway park in a mascot costume once. So you're right. That would absolutely be fascinating. And, and just at the convention, especially, but really at any other time, as you mentioned, anybody from 2016 is revered. These people are only going to going to continue to uh, hold such, be held in such high esteem by the fan base. The further we get from 2016, it was in so many ways, the most epic, uh, American sports championship run like in, in history just because of how long it's been and, and the lovable losers label and everything else so yeah you're right talking to the architect uh, of that all would be fascinating and my dream guest is a fellow Ben Zobris I think that his his career here was fascinating I mean he was a huge huge part of that team of making that leap from 15 to 16 he was always so interesting to talk to to talk hitting to talk game uh, just about any aspect of the game. He would talk about the mental parts. Um, he talked about life a bit. Like he was a really interesting guy to talk to. He was revered in that clubhouse. Guys liked him a lot, looked up to him a lot. Uh, so I think just talking to him and then, you know, of course he got the game winning hit in game seven. So uh, any of those questions, you know, comments, interactions, like that would be really cool. So Zobris to me is a, is a dream podcast guest to, to nail at the uh, Cubs convention at some point. So hopefully we're able to get that uh, with him or Theo or anything else on the line, because that would certainly be really cool. And as we mentioned before, all these interviews that we you just heard snippets of will roll out over the next few weeks here on the Cubs weekly podcast. So definitely stay tuned. 
be on the lookout for those. But that'll do it for this edition of the Cubs Weekly Podcast presented by Wintrust. Don't forget to download and subscribe to the pod on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Definitely want to make sure you are subscribed to catch the Mike Fontenot, Miguel Montero, Ted Lilly, and all the other interviews we have planned. We'll also have a Kyle Farnsworth interview that we did not tape at Cubs Convention that we'll be rolling out here over the next few weeks. So uh, definitely be sure to download and subscribe and check us out in video form on the Marquee Sports Network app and YouTube. Thanks again for tuning in.